Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Mel was recorded on September 9th, 2021. My name is Mel, and I am a adult child from Toronto, Canada. Um, I'm a little terrified at knowing this is a 45-minute talk, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say like I'm not even sure if I'm if I'm gonna hit that 30-minute mark, but who knows because in program is where I have found I can actually say a lot, um, but think that I have nothing to say. That's just kind of the inner messaging that I kind of got growing up. Um, so I'm really grateful to be here and for the persistence and reminders to get myself to this meeting. I, um, I had a backup actually, um, who is going to come and speak for me because I wasn't sure if I, could, I was going to make it. I've been really tired. I'm in this new career, um, my dream career, finally. And I'll talk a bit more about that later if I remember. But right now, I'm just going to say that I don't claim to know or have anything planned for my share. Um, I just wanted to say how much... Um, out of all fellowships, and I am an addict, recovering addict as well. Actually, today, just for the sake of recovery, um, I am celebrating 15 years of sobriety, um, and today is actually my sober birthday, which just was sort of perfect for me to say um, yes to speaking tonight because I just could not say no. Um, and I don't really, I'm at a place in my recovery. Um, in ACA, I came in in 2009 after I was sober for a few years. And um, and I just, I, I guess the first thing I just wanted to sort of admit to or just share, because I've never acknowledged this before, is just the fact that like, when asked to speak at an ACA meeting, I'm never nervous. If it's another fellowship, I'm just terrified and I just want to kind of not show up. Um, so there's something about this fellowship of ACA that gives me such incredible depth um, in recovery that I, that I don't get in any other fellowship. Um, I'm only sharing that just for the sake of like describing my um my recovery and I uh I'm just allowing my higher power to speak through me today um and I'll try to keep it balanced as well just because um when asked to speak I think I'm familiar with the format of just you know describing what it was like as far as I can remember although I don't want to remember um like what happened to me and just kind of balance that out with what I'm feeling today. Um, and I think that like, I really don't 
know what to say. Usually I meditate and listen to what God's asking me to talk about today. And the one thing that came up for me was self-acceptance, something that just was not incredibly on my radar in recovery for a very long time. Um, In fact, I think it was just this past year that my recovery really made sense to me. Um, And I guess what sort of triggered that was just the simple fact that I lost my my father, who was the alcoholic, um, last year. And um, I also um, miscarried last year as well because I was sort of getting ready to move on to the next chapter of my life. And that just um, was, I guess, just a really, it's been a really heavy year. And um, I've never been so tested in my life um, in sobriety I really do feel very much like a newcomer today um, and extremely humble. And I'm finding myself say stuff like I'm not taking anything for granted anymore. And I think the first many, many years, maybe the first like say 13, 14 years of my sobriety, I just kept thinking that Like I was just hanging on to self-sufficiency. And I guess what that looks like for me is I still thought that I was in control. I still had a part of me, a part of my spirit, my mind, my soul, my thinking, like just my mental construct. Like I was just still hanging on to the belief that I was God in some way and that the power began and ended with me. Um, I'm really not sure why my talk is starting there. I, I'm just really not chronological whatsoever, um, which I think that like this fellowship is very forgiving of um, and can understand because it is complex trauma recovery, inner child stuff, and really connecting to ourselves, like building that relationship with ourselves is a very complex relationship. Um, and I know for without a shadow of a doubt that I cannot do it myself. This is the disease of, um, ACA is like the disease of self-sufficiency for me. I cannot for the life of me see that I don't have the power. And after my dad passed away last year, I found myself yet again overeating. I started OA in 2008 and it was just this past year that I had my spiritual awakening. And what that means is like, I finally got step one after all these years, which is I simply have no power. It's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just that I, I'm suffering beyond human aid and I can't fix it. And in my step work this year, I discovered that I kept thinking I could save myself and that I could do all this outside work because I do a lot of outside work. Um, thinking that like I can fix myself and I can heal myself and this is what's being said in the media and everything and it's just like no I can't not anymore like I can only get so far um, in my whatever and my self-sufficiency could get me so far but I'm just really humbled this year because I can see that um, 
that I simply don't have the power to unlock my dreams. Like I've come to ACA for quite some time and I've realized like I've tapped into my inner child. I've earned her trust. She lives very securely and well with me today. Um, In fact, I was very secure in God's love up until last year. It took me about eight months after my dad passed away for the grief to really hit me. Um, And I think just what I'm trying to say or get at is just the simple fact that I don't claim to know what's best for me anymore and what's best to talk about and, you know, what have you. So it is also late. My brain usually stops at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So um, I hope that I am saying something of use. Um, So I guess growing up, I will like refer to, um, there's a part in the big book that talks about how to share and I'm sort of in that old timer category now six years and up that sounds a little strange but like I did sort of read it just to see what might be useful to share about um and it does say to mention like what might have been our roles growing up and um what our inner messages were and fear and talk about fear and loss so growing up like just a memory came up to came up in my mind like before this meeting and I was very isolated growing up I was athletic I loved animals I loved horses I um, was a straight A student but yet I was just physically and sexually abused Um, I guess six years old is the age that I experienced the abuse, but that came later when I was like 30 something years or late twenties in my sobriety is when all the trauma memories started to surface for me, um, which is when I got into ACA. But, um, so there, my, I suffered like all of the abuses that they talk about, all types of abuses. Um, and since I was a child up until um, maybe 11, 12 years old, when things started to settle down in terms of like the panic attacks and the angst and the isolation as a little girl. I even remember like I was part of quite a number of sports leagues, but then I also remember times where I would be looking out of my bedroom window just feeling like I wasn't able to connect with life. Like, why can't I just get out there and do stuff and like participate in life and have fun. But I was really stuck in this prison of like paralyzing anxiety. Uh, As far as I can remember, I always woke up with this feeling of extremely heavy grief in my chest. I still do experience that. And it's, it's very scary, but Whenever I come to ACA and I'm and I'm able to be emotionally honest about what I'm terrified about, let's say, or what I'm angry or hurt about, the next morning it lifts and I'm free. Um, and those are just kind of the first few symptoms of recovery when I came into like twelve step program, especially ACA. Um, it was the only program that actually shifted the grief for me, and I had no idea that that just that huge dark hole in my soul was grief. I didn't have that language at the time. Um, 
But I do sort of have this really fond memory that I kind of adore about myself when I was younger. And I kind of pretended to have a publishing company and I ran that in my room and I made books and like I wrote books and I even wrote a book called like the backwards book just so that I could read it in, in the mirror to myself. Like these just the weirdest things I do. Um, Cause I was pretty studious, but I was also very outgoing and athletic. And that's where I got a lot of my confidence. Um, growing up, I was in the very like, Caucasian dominated um, community neighborhood. And I guess the only other Asian family was like, I don't know, not too far away, but it just seemed like uh, just, it was just so strange to me because I was so used to like Caucasian people. Um, And so my childhood was horrible because I woke up where nobody was really ever there. They were always working or they were absent. Um, my mother was ex- a very extreme like tiger mom who just disciplined us and we were physically abused and whipped every weekend. It felt like almost every Sunday. So as an adult, I always felt this gnawing grief every time Sunday came around and the Simpsons was on TV and like the Ewoks and like whatever. And it was just like this heavy, heavy grief that I carried around all the time. Um, And I just thought it was like, well, that's just me. You know, Um, I grew up in a family of chefs and musicians. And I don't know what else I can say about that. And gardeners um and we lived in a really really big house and we sold it when I turned like pre-teens like 12 then we moved to the city like metropolis toronto and it was such a huge culture shock to me like I've never seen so many like different cultures before and um and middle school and high school was horrifying to me like horrifying because I'd go to school and I'd be so socially awkward um and do really really well and get on like the honor roll and everything um and just I think I was the hero and invisible child for the most part and I I remember also like studying comedy like I would go to garage sales and stores and buy a book of jokes just so that like I wouldn't be attacked if I left my room, so to speak. And it was just so, it was just so, so awful. Um, I guess sometimes when I share, it's really hard for me to get vivid or specific. Um, And I think that's just because it's like my mind or my heart blocking me from having to talk about that because I just might like break down and cry. Um, But a large part of that has been healed. Like I'm not tongue-tied about my story um I felt like a huge lump in my throat up until I found ACA and I just sort of couldn't communicate like I just felt like parts of my story just kept surfacing and I just couldn't string it together and in this program I picked up a lot of books one of the books I read was uh, written by a husband and wife team. I think it was called like adult 
children. And it was like a book of questions. There was like 70 or hundreds of questions about everything an ACA would ask when they come to an ACA meeting for the first time, just to kind of understand what it was all about, because it was enormous. Um, and I guess I am jumping a little bit ahead. So um, a lady at an ACA meeting, um, she rented out the movie theater of a hospital when I first came in and she started showing videos like John Bradshaw videos. And I was just floored. Like it was just like, I was so thirsty for the knowledge and the experience of John Bradshaw because back in the eighties, like I didn't know this at all, but he had a show on PBS or something. And he was just talking about the family system. He was one of the first pioneers, some American theologian or something or theology lecturer, author, and um, I just kept going to those meetings. It was an ACA meeting, and it always started with a John Bradshaw video, and there was a, a part where he showed this mobile, like those baby mobiles that kind of hang in, in, like, I don't know what they're called, actually, but he had a big one on his TV show while he was lecturing and it was kind of like a huge four part series. So if you can ever get a hand, like if you can ever find out where those DVDs are, like I highly, highly suggest it because my jaw dropped for months and months. Um, and it gave me the education, the trauma, family dysfunction information that I needed to make sense out of everything. And it explained so much to me. Um, but he basically talked about like if you if you just like poke at the mobile like every the whole system sort of gets affected and he was just describing how the the dysfunction of the family worked and it just made a lot of sense to me because I'm a visual person um yeah so like i also read a book by john hughes or something like a medical doctor or psychiatrist where he first spoke of having like an incoherent sense of incoherent like personal narrative or something like that and little bits and pieces started making sense when I just kept coming back to meetings to help me like describe some of the symptoms I was experiencing like I was at a meeting on a Saturday and there was a really annoying person at that meeting who like slapped like the word blurted out the word toxic shame at me one day it mind you that wasn't the kindest way to deliver the message but he was one of those very passionate people um and I was just describing something about like feeling wrong all the time or I have no idea shame to me is such a huge topic but it doesn't have to be anymore because I know how to play the game of shame now because it's like playing hot potato isn't it um so he just said, you know what that is? It's toxic shame. And although it was like a traumatic, um, like way of communicating, because I was, you know, super trembling inside and super fragile, I still am kind of grateful for it because it sort of gave me some language to describe what the effects are of growing up in an alcoholic family. Um, and ever since then, it took me like years to still understand and grasp what shame actually meant. It just means like 
to me, like shame can actually happen in any given moment with people because there's so many ways to go about being shameful of each other. And I think that's just like one of the invisible diseases out there. Um, But I will say like the one person who really saved my life growing up was a man named Wally. And he, I met him online him and his wife had sort of taken me in for a little bit, like um, for a while. And this was a person who became my spiritual mentor, um, which is why Zoom culture and Zoom life like is totally comforting to me because that's how I got the message. He 12 stepped me for about 15 years, tried to send me Alateen books and Al-Anon books and just, he did all of this and persevered with a brain injury. Um, until the 12 step program and, and like, you know, the beverage program took care of me for a few years. He, I was actually sober for seven years, which is when he felt when it, which is when my relationship with him changed. Um, and I guess in a way he was my way shower. I always tear up talking about that because it would be endless chats about dysfunction and he tolerated every single like every single emotional hurricane that I threw at him. Maybe it wasn't the most like healthiest, but he most certainly tried to love me and tried to transmit the message to me. And he just made himself completely available every time I was going through a crisis Um, and thank God for people like that, because there are some people who just have a caring limit of like, yay, hi. And then other people who just, you know, hold your hand for a while and let go and expect you to be independent, which is what my mother did to me. Like she expected me to come out of the womb and know everything and do everything right and all that stuff. But um he was able to deliver the 12 step, me- 12 step message to me. And he 12 stepped me for that long. And I had no idea he was sober for so long. When I got my first year in the program, I sent him my medallion. Like I literally taped it to a letter and just, this is around the time you still write letters. I still love to write letters, but in this case, it was just kind of like a, you know, old school kind of way of communicating. And I sent it to him and his wife. And that's when he revealed to me that he had 33 years of sobriety. And I had just, I was so self-absorbed in my suffering, depression and anxiety and panic attacks and everything, and just hurting for so long that it never occurred to me to ask him about his life. Like it never occurred to me to ask him, how are you? Like, I'm sure I was nice enough to you know, like have those conversations, but I did not care. I had no care in the world or no concern for another human being. Um, And um, I do want to talk about a little bit about the adult child steps. Um, I've done the step study using the yellow workbook about three times. And the first time was most significant. In fact, like, the first time opened up my trauma so much that I had to check myself into trauma recovery in while like sober, like for two straight months, like I was hospitalized 
And that was probably because like, it's like it says in the book, like buried memories will return. And that's exactly what happened to me. It just kind of all hit me. And when I went off work, um, there, there's just this huge wall. Like I had to go off on disability. Like it's, it's a real thing in ACA recovery and a huge wall of anxiety just hit me and all these memories I started like ordering food a lot. And then I was telling my sponsor that like, at the time I was like sober enough to get to know people in the program and start dating. And I just kept hitting landmines and I was getting triggered a lot. Um, and I started to use the word rape. Like I started to tell my sponsor, like, it just feels like my ears are being assaulted. Like, I just feel like, you know, whatever. And then, and then the memory hit that I was, that I had experienced that when I was 17 years old, which is something I'm, I've processed. Um, I guess I'm on ver like version 3.0 now of that healing process. Um, and I'm not sure what it is about putting down a food addiction, but that really made me start understanding step 10 in the program, which I think is the emotion regulation step. Um, I had to face all of my emotions. And this was after my dad passed away that I really needed to buckle down. And I was also seeing patterns in my life where I was overgiving and overly passionate and just pouring my love, sweat, and tears into everything, into work, into relationships, into trying to build a relationship and like building a family like I was last year, only to not have anything reciprocated. So something was very wrong with me. And of course, I was going through a lot of the grief with my father, but um, um, what got drudged up with what was under earning issues. Um, I had cleaned up my debt in sobriety, like thousands of like dollars. Um, I had to look at my money issues, but that still didn't get me far. So last year I worked the steps on OA and UA, and now I'm working them on in the SLAW program or the SLAY program as the Americans might call it. Um, and I only share that because I, need to speak freely about my recovery and um and those are the sorts of things that ACAs deal with like I feel like when I was in trauma recovery we had a nurse who um taught us that if we're dealing with addictions and we're also dealing with trauma recovery and ACA recovery it's almost as if we're slaying two three-headed dragons so that's like three heads and it's all, it's like really no wonder why we're such creative people, to be honest with you, and which is probably why I tend to bounce around a lot in my shares. Um, but um, this was the year that I learned what commitment was. And I learned self-acceptance. In fact, like, I've done a recent step four. Um, and it's just been so effective. Uh, step four and eight, like it's a different ball game in ACA as it is in like 
an addictions, you know, program or whatever, but um, I'm finding my way. Like, it's not perfect. I'm finding my way. And what I can say that like facing my emotions and not doing it by myself um, and relying on you to always get back to a place that feels like home inside of me, which is self-love and self-compassion and really showing up for um, my suffering. Like that's the name of the game for me in program. I know it's not a game, but it's more so that's the process. How can I show up for myself? What can I do to pause, not identify with like all the negative things my mind is telling me or my hurt inner child, but can I at least like recovery has given me the ability to like separate from that and detach from that. It's just a little bit of space though, like, and it's not there every day, but like, do I have the courage and ACA gave me this courage to sit and listen to my inner child when she's hurting and lashing out and need something? And what can I do to just say my sweet love, like my darling, like tell me what's wrong, like just treating it like a, literally a child. And I've had to read a lot of parenting articles in ACA just to kind of learn how to give things to myself that I didn't get growing up. And I also dip into the big red book a lot as well. Um, And I had been basking in this secure love of God up until last year. And I didn't honestly, I thought I was fine my father passing away. He was like my soul friend. Um, He was the type of man who everybody loved. He was bright. He had this amazing smile. He was extremely handsome. Um, He was the life of the party. And I just heard in sobriety when you lose your father it just changes your identity and I wasn't prepared for that he was sick for six months he just kept declining and ACA and my ACA friends who we were on a whatsapp group like every almost every moment of the day I could check in with them but I really did feel like the power and the security of something of like the program and the peace and the forgiveness that I had gained in the program to really apply it to this process of him dying. And I really just saw the the little boy in him. In fact, when he passed away, I think I felt his childlike spirit just saying, I'm free now. Um, and, um, I have to admit, like, it dealing with, like, being in grief recovery and then also processing the death of a parent is, um, it really does give you grief brain. Um, But I think the true testament to the program is when he was scared and needed all the lights on in his hospital room and was being very difficult and annoying to my mother. Cause I witnessed 
him being very abusive to her. Although the women in my family were way more abusive than the men ever were. So thanks to him, like he was very interested in my, my brain and like my education. And he was just such a passionate person, um, did the best he could. ACA gave me the strength to even interview him in the program because I thought to myself at one time, I cannot, I don't want to die without knowing the facts about the man I hate so much. Um, so I decided to interview him to get all the facts and just to sort of stop living in resentment so much. Um, and I think what I got out of it was that I learned he was a hero. He had to go through the the Vietnam War to get him and his family and the entire family over to Canada. So he had, you know, he was relied on um, a lot to build rapport with the UN and like fight off sea pirates and deal with like the sick and dying, like on a boat full of 200 people. And these are the kinds of things that I can carry with me today. Um, and I was able to tell him for the first time of like, just how I genuinely felt and just realized like you are a hero and you know, like you're an incredible person. These are the words that came through the ACA program. I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the strength of the people in these rooms. Um, so I have felt like a newcomer, like I mentioned, that my sense of security in life has been wiped out. And I don't know anymore what self-love is. I, I do. It's all coming back. It just feels like a lot of the things that felt so steady in me um, are being resuscitated. So I'm relearning what it means to love myself. And um, I'm looking at all my father wounds as well, because this year I also learned that I thought true love meant rescuing you and fixing you and saving other mentally ill men I keep attracting men who need that something I don't know what it is but I'm working that out I have no idea what God's doing um to me this year um but um I wanted to share the moment that I earned the trust of my inner child and it's very possible because I literally felt it in a meditation meeting I was attending a meditation group with a very small group of people uh, run by a physician, I think. I can't remember now, but um, it was one of those like sessions where it was encouraged that we should bring out like our baby photos. Um, and that sort of stuff, like mirror work and baby photos, like, that stuff has been like super cringy to me when I first came in, but that's the stuff that like affirmations, mirror work, positive self-talk, looking at baby photos of myself, just like 
it just all seemed so tacky and cheesy to me when I first learned about all these little tools when I came into ACA and did a ton of trauma work. Um, but now those are the most simple things that are so powerful to me. Like I no longer look in the mirror and want to like look away or I no longer like record an audio of my, myself and just like cringe and not want to listen to it. In fact, I feel like a part of me is really in love and I adore myself. And I, I always wanted to leave ACA. I always thought it was a pit stop and I didn't know why I was always coming back to it. I just felt I had to, but nothing was happening. Um, it took a long time for my inner child to show herself. I really don't remember how it happened, but I do remember the day that I earned her trust. And just prior to that, I made a decision. I think, you see, I think I did all of this stuff, but it's really not. But I did make a decision one day and I had to learn what it took to earn the trust of someone because I was learning to trust for the first time and that you know, people taught me and I read that it took consistency and it's just like teaching a child how to trust. You need to keep showing up. So I decided to show up to my ACA group every Tuesday night, which is the Fox Bar group. And just whatever, just see what happens. It came naturally to me. And I admitted this to someone at the meeting. I said, like, I don't know why I'm here. I, I don't want to do compassion work my whole life. Like, I don't. I don't want to spend time getting to know my inner child and stuff like that. Don't you just connect and move on, you know? Um, but of course it was about connecting with your true self and tapping into your authentic self. Um, and I learned, I really connected with who I am today. Um, but he said one thing that got me to stay forever in ACA. And I know I'll be coming back to the day I die now. Um, but he said, Mel, like people who don't stick around do not understand what this is about. And for some reason, something like when he said that, it, I got it. Like I understood that this was there was still something I wasn't being open to learning. Um, and that was to open my heart and to um, really process the grief and really embrace the discomfort of this program of waking up, of connecting to my true self. And I just kept, the one thing I can say in program, like I've had sponsees, I've done service work, I have had friendships like fail, I've dated, but the one solid thing that is evidence that I do have self-love today is that I don't give up on myself. There is something in me that just does not give up because I'm so determined to feel God's love today. That's basically my number one desire is to feel safe and secure and just bonded with my higher power who used to be the divine feminine and had the voice of Charlize Theron and like, was just female and motherly and, and nurturing. But ever since my dad died, it's everything. I was just literally terrified that God wasn't there for me and wasn't going to help me. And I kept telling this to God. And um, I've probably made a million phone calls every day this past year 
um, to process like emotions. Like that's all it is to me is emotional sobriety and how best can I show up for my high sensitivity. Um, and now I was just really terrified with my under earning issues and just this huge capacity and thirst to succeed and do well and do a good job and everything I did, not everything, like I suck at a lot of things now and I can really admit that, but um, I had to really look at my money wounds too and um, I just started seeing God as God the Father and that I'm his daughter. Um, that just never occurred to me when my dad was alive. Of course, it now makes sense that I would, you know, seek fatherhood in my higher power. Um, but it was an ACA that I learned the inconsistency and the alcoholic, the alcoholism like creates a very unpredictable environment for kids. And it's no wonder that we just cannot get the wiring right. And um, cause I'm con I was constantly on alert cause you just did not know what you were going to get growing up. I had the kind of dad who, if I forgot to lock the door, he would make sure to point it out to you. If I didn't like, if there was a piece of hair and like the, the bathroom sink my all of my uncles including my dad like my dad's side of the family would point that out to you like it was just incredibly insane and neurotic and um and so my point in sharing that is just basically like I read a book written by some PhD um about it's called the unavailable father and it just described all the types of fathers and the effect it had on daughters, like the mentally ill father, the depressed father, the military father, the, I don't know, just the exact, I don't know, but I don't remember, but it taught me a lot. And it was my higher power that gave me the right books to read, um, to understand my own pain. And I regained that sense of security in the program, but after he died, it just felt like I was back at that place. Like I came into ACA again for the first time. And I think that like, I really do feel like I talked a long time. So I just want to get back to, um, thank you. Five minutes. I just want to get back to that part about earning the trust of my inner child. So it took a long time, but I was really determined to learn what trust was. So the thing I say in program is like, I know it says the only requirement is a desire to, that's what the traditions say, but I really do apply that to every area in my life that as long as I have the desire for something, I really truly sincerely believe that it's going, I'm going to get it. Um, and it was in that meditation group when I was off work and just trying to nurture my depression and anxiety um, that one day in a deep meditation, 
I literally felt the, uh, the little arms of my inner child wrap herself around me and just say thank you. Thank you for being consistent. Thank you for not leaving me. Thank you. Just thank you for being present and available and whatever. Um, I don't remember all the words she used, but um, I had the same sensation. And this was back in 2000 and I'd say 11 or 12. But recently I had a very similar sensation where um, I just have this deep desire to connect to my higher power. And I'll just sort of end by saying, um, because of work, this miracle job that I've had, I haven't had the capacity to listen too much to people, let alone talk in an outreach like call or something with other people in the program. So I started a silent meditation outreach group, mostly for ACAs, and it's on WhatsApp. And if you're interested, I could share the link to join. But I mostly started it so that I could get all those minutes of meditation and work my step 11. And this was literally just last week that I felt complete terror of abandonment because this new job is really challenging me. There's a, I have a lot of power. I'm moving into a senior management role and just I'm rocketed into my dream job. And I really don't know how it's happening, but it's happening because I did this. I worked the steps. <laughs> um, and I was crying out to my higher power, having the desire to truly understand and feel what true love is. Cause I don't think, I don't think I know what it is. And in my meditation of all of three minutes, I heard a voice that said, it is my pleasure to love you and thank you. And this is the voice of my higher power. So I'm just truly grateful to do any kind of service when I have the capacity for it. My recovery is not perfect by any means. Um, but I really do feel that something is anchored in me now. Um, there's a part of me that most definitely feels at home and that my, my sense of self, my... Um, inner child is with me always and there's no doubt in my mind that I'll ever abandon her again because I felt those little arms around me so I think it's possible um I actually I know it's possible and I'm very human um and I just have this sense of more acceptance of who I am and I can be a mess with you and possibly share something, a few things I know um, that keep me afloat in program. But I have to say, you cannot do this alone. There's no way. And if you think you do, then your ego is like over there and needs to be smashed. And that happened to me. So I don't think I'm like special at all today. In fact, I'm just working off of higher power power. In fact, one of the amends letters I wrote to myself recently was to my inner child apologizing for not treating her all that well since my dad passed away. But I assured her that I don't know anymore. I don't know how to provide for us, but there's a new power in my life who's going to take care of us. And 
it's really trickling in there again. So I'm just super grateful that I could speak on it because I just haven't spoken at an AC meeting for a while. And I truly hope that I might've said something that helped somebody today. Cause that's my, my desire is to feel true love of God and to just keep on giving that energy. So thank you for letting me share.